Allegorical Life. This is the podcast where we discuss the metaphors of life, leadership and everything in between. Welcome back to another episode of The Allegorical Life. My name's Jordan and as always, I'm here with Mark Croswell. By way of introduction for those of you who don't know Mark, he's worked in crisis security and emergency management for over 30 years. His experiences, both personal and professional, have taken him into the world of philosophy, often intersecting with the worlds of theology and mythology. Mark often talks both nationally and internationally about these intersections and how they shape the way we think, speak and act. He talks about the ways that they can influence both the quality of our leadership and, more importantly, the quality of our lives. Mark, welcome back. Now, today we're talking about the uh, existential nature of life, uh, as we actually often do on this podcast, and we're talking about the ability that we have to shape our own lives and potentially the lives of other people as well through progressively wiser thought, word, and action. Now, in your latest uh, post on the blog, you've written about how inspired you've been by the metaphors present in The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel and also its sequel, The Second Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. So I saw both movies. I was quite taken by the first movie, of course, because it really um, uh, eloquently articulates what it looks like for people to enter that sunset of their life. And uh, they're all old people, of course. You know, they got together in India and and working out what retirement looks like and, you know, what do they want to do with the, the, the end of day, so to speak. And there's so much that goes on in particularly the first movie about um, uh, uh, loss, uh, regret, um, unlived experiences, unmet expectations, um, but also reconciliation with uh, the truth of their lives. I think that uh, some some of them come to realise, you know, that they. Uh, I think there's one one actor or one scene where the um, the man is uh, is gay and. He had to let his lover go, who was a an Indian, who whose society wouldn't tolerate um, homosexuality, and so in his youth he had to let him go. But he came back to India to tell him that he loved him before he died, and it's a beautiful scene, a very very powerful scene, and it was just uh, I guess an exemplar or, or a, a a great um, insight to how much other people will carry or to those expectations that you know love love conquers all that asks a process, but conquers everything and, and that scene alone or that story alone in the movie I thought was incredibly powerful you express the truth of your life if you know it's the love of another um, there's a marriage that falls apart because you know it was dead years ago and they didn't take that pathway and probably should have taken it earlier but um, they both moved directions and so it's on so there's all these uh, moments of truth that turn up because the sun's setting on their lives and, and they feel um, a great need to reconcile and a great need to uh, move towards what's true for them. And so that's what really took me with the movie, both movies actually. And the second movie is an extension of that um, in many aspects. But um, but it also had that great line, you know, planting the seeds of trees up whose shadow made it. And that really caught my attention as that profound question, you know, what do you want to leave as a legacy after, a, you know, a life whether you perceive it to be good, bad or indifferent? But what is your legacy? You know, what do you leave behind that helps another? And it could be so subtle that maybe no one ever really knows what it was, but you do, and the universe does, and that's maybe that's all that matters. But so I was really taken by it, Jordan, because uh, as a Buddhist, you know, we meditate on we might die today. Um, and most people, their mind is placed on I won't die today, 
um, and that's probably statistically true, but uh, my career has taught me in, uh, in spades really that I saw so many people get out of bed. Well, I didn't see them get out of bed, but they obviously got out of bed in the morning and with this expectation of coming home that night and because of a range of very unfortunate circumstances didn't. Could have been a car accident, uh, could have been um, a house fire, could have been a bushfire or, or some other you know natural uh, disaster event or it could have been um, by human intervention, even murder. You know, I saw the results of that, uh, suicide. So it goes on. So, so you know, people thought others were coming home and they didn't come home. So, so it sort of raises that um, question in our minds. I think as to you know what's really valuable. And and in Buddhist thought, we think about that a lot because we accept the premise that day we could die, because that you know death is certain, but its timing is uncertain. Circumstances generally uncertain as well. And um, so it stops and makes you think. It certainly makes me think about what's really important and. The mind's an interesting thing. It places itself on something. It can't place itself on nothing. And it often, when it places itself on negativity or things that are mundane or even destructive, um, it can conflate or overinflate them and so see them for being much bigger than they actually are. Um, and I think this uh, mindfulness around the, uh, the uncertainty of death or the ending of this life as we understand it helps to contract that inflation and helps to bring us back into focus about what's really important. And, um, and, and I just believe that, you know, part of living a good life, not all of it, of course, but part of living a good life is to leave legacies that benefit other people. And that could be, you know, a beautiful family or it could be, um, uh, you know, the things you do in your job or, or, you know, the words that you leave others or whatever the case might be. I mean, it's, it's, it's so prolific what you could do in terms of legacy for other people, but I think it's worthwhile contemplating. So so the movie kind of taught me that, I think, and, and if anyone watches it, I think they'd probably take away the same message that, you know, everybody does matter, really, and, um, and life is finite, and it's probably good to reconcile with as much of it as possible that, that has caused uh, dis- distraction or dissatisfaction or unmet expectation to try and reconcile that as much as you can before you go. Now, Mark, in your blog post, you also talk about this sense of uncertainty that we can feel from time to time. Uh, what can we do with that? How can we use that for good? Um, I think we're all, if we dig in our minds, I think we're all quite existentially anxious. Um, there's always those eschatological questions. You know, where, where did I come from? What am I doing here? And where do I go? And um, that crosses everybody's mind at some point in their lives, I think. And so the, the question of uncertainty um, in life is um, a natural question, but it also opens up the opportunity to to bring existential meaning to life. In other words, that we get to choose what we make life mean. Um, there are conventions in society. It's called um, well, let's just take it as conventions. So, so we agree on conventions about uh, generally what a good life looks like. Um, uh, you know what we accept as good, what we accept as bad, or right or wrong. I mean those those conventions. You know, there's some tension in those spaces, but generally speaking, most people know a good life from a bad one uh, or the right thing to do from the wrong thing to do. Um, and that guides us, and so that, that forms part of um, meaning-making or how we make something mean something in our lives. But then there are specific circumstances where we get to choose, um, because they're uncertain, we get to choose uh, what we want to make them mean. And I think um, I've said in a number of my blogs that 
what helps us to bring better or profound or deeper meaning to life is is the great history of humanity through its theologies and mythologies and philosophies and histories as, as examples that, you know, people have walked uh, the path of life, you know, billions of people have walked the path of life before us. And, um, and I think we can learn from what they learned. And so, so that learning, uh, that insight or that education forms part of how we make things mean something. Um, so there's a tension there between this wonderful freedom to bring meaning to uncertainty um, balanced up with the profound learnings of of human history and all, all that it contains to help us shape that meaning as well. And I think that's quite exciting. I think that you can take a set of circumstances that appear to be adverse, for example, and human history will tell you with its theologies and mythologies and so on and so forth that um, that those adversities are ultimately and ironically and perhaps even paradoxically beneficial. And on the surface of it, you'd say, how on earth is that true? But upon reflection and contemplation and through mindfulness, you can actually see the benefit in the adversity. That doesn't mean that adversity is necessarily a good thing. I'm not saying we should go seeking it or we should promote it or what have you. But I do think that it does arise. And when it does, you know, we get to choose what we make it mean. And maybe that meaning making takes a long time to manifest. It, it could be something that is done um, as a result of deep reflection on the events of the past, which is what the movie really, uh, really highlighted. I think that all the characters reflected on their lives, um, you know, what had happened or hadn't happened, what they had done or hadn't done, said or hadn't said, um, and were able to interpret it and bring meaning to it in a way that was beneficial. And that's the wonderful gift of human beings. I mean, I'm sitting here in my office looking out the window at some galahs on the grass eating eating grass seed and whatever else they desire, um, and they're not contemplating anything past the next mouthful of food because they don't need to, and they're not contemplating what happened yesterday because they don't need to. So we're the only sentient beings that can contemplate the past and the future. Um, and because we can do that, um, it's really important that the reflection on the past and the contemplation of the future has meaning attached to it that it's not meaningless because the minute it becomes meaningless, then life becomes meaningless. So meaning making is important. Um, uh, interpreting the world in a way that's more beneficial is very important for us. It's not important for any other animal on the planet. I mean, we're the only species that can contemplate our death. So every other sentient being understands death when it turns up or it's threatening and they'll do what they can to defend themselves and to avoid it. But once that threat is over, the contemplation has ended. Whereas with human beings, it never ends. We, we will, on some level, be constantly, consciously or otherwise, contemplating death and, and seeking to do whatever we can to avoid it, of course. Um, and that's, that can put us into existential anxiety and uncertainty, or it can motivate us to think and act and speak in a much more positive and beneficial way. And I would prefer to take the latter than the former. Uh, and Mark, you also talk about this idea of planting the seeds of trees under whose shadows you may never sit. Uh, what do you see as the rewards of that kind of approach? I think there's a satisfaction uh, as we move to that sunset of our lives that you know that our, our life um, had meaning, had purpose, had benefit to ourselves. It's important that you know life has meaning to ourselves personally, but but also provide a benefit to other people. That We just naturally derive 
our happiness and satisfaction from knowing that we've helped someone else. It's, it's so inherent in the nature of humanity. Um, Charles Darwin said it was, you know, it was the species that knew how to help and support each other that thrive the best. And out of all of those species, it's been humanity. I mean, I've said this in previous blogs, if you look at our natural attributes of defence, we've got nothing really. We, we, you know, we, we can't bite or scratch or we've got no poison. Um, you know, we can't defend ourselves really unless we use two things, our cognition and our cooperation. Um, two things that you know, we have that, um, that, generally speaking, other species don't have, certainly around cognition. The cooperation exists in, in other species, but that cooperation and cognition is, is absolutely fundamental. And so to do something for someone else, to be there for someone else, to think of someone else, to love someone else, to leave a legacy for someone else, is we derive enormous satisfaction from that. And I think it's important as we approach that moment of death, and it is but a moment, um, uh, that we our mind is as peaceful and as happy and as contented as it can possibly be. Um, and I think to move to our death without that contemplation would just make it all that more difficult. And um, so, yeah, so uh, that might sound a bit profound and deep, Jordan, but I think it's true. We all get there. And wouldn't it be nice to have that moment of reflection where we went, well, I did a good job. You know, I did my best. I left a legacy. Um, it's time to go and, and go peacefully. I think that would be nice. You're listening to the Allegorical Life Podcast. And Mark, you also talk about this being an important leadership consideration. Uh, what are your top tips for leaders in this space? Well, I don't think leaders fully understand how much influence they have on their people, uh, certainly culturally and uh, and emotionally. And I, I say that because I'm watching more and more a world that is so focused on outcome, on efficiency, effectiveness, delivery, productivity, contestability, entrepreneurship, and so it goes on. And there's profound writing about this in sociology, for example. Um that we've forgotten the elements of character and the elements of reason and goodwill. And we just simply try and achieve things by outcome. And the price is enormous. Uh, is, it is enormous. So because um, the outcome is everything and how we get there is almost inconsequential, we're hurting a lot of people and a lot of people are, are being hurt and are carrying burdens and quite emotionally distressed. I mean, Deloitte, Access Economics, I think that's the company, certainly Deloitte's as a, as a broader company, released a report this week that talked about two things in principle in the workforce. And one was that people are leaving their jobs irrespective of the tenure or security of their financial situation. In other words, they've had enough. And one of the key issues that's, that's forcing them to leave or give up is the lack of respect in the workplace. And, and that's because we are so focused on the outcome, as I said, and efficiency and effectiveness and other attributes that, that there is a lot of harm rising. So I would say to any leader, really stop and think about uh, your effect on other people through your thoughts, words and actions and understand that every damn one of them makes a difference. Um, that if you, if you want to change someone's life or incentivize them or motivate them or shift them to, towards a direction that you would like them to go in, think really carefully about how you might do that. Um, some leaders, the only thing they've got in order to motivate someone to move in a direction that they want is positional authority. 
and that's it. They've got nothing else. So it's only by their positional authority, which essentially drives fear, uh, that people will comply with their wishes. Um, and I just don't think that's leadership at all. I think it's an abrogation. But but I see it more and more and more. Um, it's positional authority, and and because the employment situation in this country is so tenuous around security uh, and predictability and so on and so forth, that you know that, that people are being leveraged or or uh, or forced down roads on the basis of fear of loss of job or you know fear of loss of income or what have you. Um, that's not helpful. It's not helpful. So I'd say to leaders three things. Your, your leadership is as tenuous as your life. That don't, don't think you're ever going to be in that leadership position forever or that it's guaranteed because the way the market works at the moment, it's clearly not. Um, and uh, think very carefully about how you treat people whilst you're in that position because you may well need their support uh, when that situation changes and, and your leadership becomes tenuous or it ends. Um Secondly, I think that um, uh, people do place trust and faith in leadership, you know, to navigate through uncertainty in the workplace or where, wherever. And I think it's an obligation upon the leader to understand that uh, and to bring as much ethic as possible to everything they say, think and do to help those people navigate that uncertainty. So, you know, you can, through, the, through your words and actions and your thoughts, you can, you can bless someone with a great day or a bad day by how you approach any issue. And that's an extraordinarily powerful position to be in. And one of great privilege, but it can also bring great destruction as well. Um, and look, I think the third thing is, and I've said this for many years, um, the only moment we ever have in life is the one we're in. You know, that's the only one we've ever had. It's the only one we'll ever need. Um, there, there is really, uh, there's no past or future. There's only ever the present moment. And many people have written about this. I mean, I think most popular writer was uh, Eckhart Tolle, who wrote The Power of Now. Um, great book, and he borrowed from Buddhist thought, Christian thought, and uh, the theologies as examples. But but it's true that really the only moment you ever have is this one. Uh, the, the profound question is, what are you going to do with it? And if you contemplate that you, you might die today as part of the contemplation of this moment, I reckon it certainly does it for me. It sharpens up what I'm thinking, what I might say, what I might do. Um, and so it, so it stops us from being lazy or arrogant or, or hubristic. It stops us from, you know, thinking that we're in control and that we won't die today as a metaphor or as a reality. But, but if you think about the only moment you have is the one you're in, what are you going to do with it? You know, what, what power are you going to bring to that moment? What difference are you going to make? What legacy are you going to leave? How are you going to make your day better? How are you going to make someone else's day better? And... Uh, you know, the West practices mindfulness a lot, and I think we're moving to well-being now. We, you know, we get bored with concepts after about three or four years, so we have to come up with another one. They're all helpful, but wouldn't it be nice if we could hold them in our minds for a bit longer than you know the short-term uh, uh, periods that we tend to tend to you know hold them in Western society? But um, but that power of now, the power of the moment, and the capacity to change someone's life in your own life is um, is uh, blessed in the human species. So we're the only ones who get a chance to do that. And I just think we should embrace it and 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 really relish the opportunity to use every moment to make a difference to ourselves and to other people in, in any way possible, really, that's sensible, reasonable and accessible. Thanks. 
thanks for joining us today on The Allegorical Life. If you're enjoying our podcast, you might like to add a review on iTunes and that'll help other people find us as well. Thank you and we hope to have you with us again soon.